the evangelist was standing on the platform, speaking with passion and conviction. He seemed to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had risen from the dead. I wanted to agree with him, but I wasn't so sure. What if something unexpected had happened to Jesus' dead body? What if Christianity has just been a 2,000 year old mistake? Welcome to Respond. Here's your host, Stuart Gray. Hi, how are you doing? So, following on from last week, we're in the middle of a discussion that I've had with some friends uh, and we were exploring Jesus's resurrection together. Why were we doing that? Well, because if you don't have a resurrection, you don't have Christianity. Now, it seems to me that if we want to grapple with the evidence of the empty tomb, the post-mortem appearances of Jesus and the existence of the church, we're going to have to give some convincing explanations for all of these three evidences. So, this week we're going to try five hypotheses on for size. But first, how do historians test and check to see whether a hypothesis holds water in the first place? six tests to see whether it's it, it looks like reliable history. So the first one is, so A, does it explain the evidence? Does it explain more than just what it says? So has it got real scope? B, does it make the evidence that we've got more probable? Does it have a ring of truth about it? C, does it fit with the other known background beliefs that we have? Is it consistent? D is, is the, uh, is, the, is the approach contrived? That means, does it make sort of wildly un- unevidenced claims um, that have no evidence at all? So it's, it seems contrived to, to say that that's part of the situation. Uh, and E, is the claim disconfirmed by accepted beliefs that we've got in the background. And F, how successfully does it get its way through these these five tests? So there are five ways of, of explaining the evidence that we have, those three evidences for the resurrection. Here's the first one. It was all a conspiracy. The disciples stole the body. Uh, they lied about it they did so that the resurrection was a fake. It never happened. So the first test is, well, what, is it, what does this actually explain? Does it explain our three points? The empty tomb, post-mortem appearances, and the early church. Does it explain those three things? Well, potentially it does. The, the disciples would have stolen the body on this idea. So that's why the tomb was empty. The post-mortem experiences would have just been made up. They would have been lied about. And the origin of the church was built on lies. You know, people were desperate for something to believe in and a lie about Jesus is as good as anything else. The first test, okay, but then problems arise on the second test. If the resurrection was a conspiracy, then why would you fabricate the story about the women going to the tomb in the morning? If the disciples stole the body, why do they need to bother talking about 
the women being the first witnesses. It really doesn't make sense. But more importantly, a Jew in the first century would want to explain this supposed event of resurrection in a completely different way from the way that the New Testament shows it. The New Testament talks about a physical resurrection. The Jews didn't expect that at that point. They, they, they believed that the physical resurrection wasn't until the end of time. They probably wanted to, to make up something about Jesus that would fit with the Old Testament, but they don't. They don't talk about that at all. They talk about a physical resurrection instead. The tradition says that the majority, if not all, of the apostles were martyred for their belief in the resurrection. If it was a conspiracy, that just does not stand up at all. No one's going to give their life for something which is, is, is known to be false. Um, sometimes people will say, oh, but, you know, think of the, the guys that, that flew the, plane, the airplanes into the Twin Towers. They, they, they gave their life for something they, they thought was true. Yes, they did. But what this conspiracy hypothesis requires us to believe is that someone would give their life for something they know is false. So there are big problems with the conspiracy approach. Do you think a conspiracy is, is, a, is something that, that could survive? I mean, is it, is it something that, that, that would last all of this time? Usually someone cracks, don't they? Yeah. Also, this idea is contrived. So what that means is, if we put forward this hypothesis, we're inventing things that must have been in the disciples' minds. So we come up with motivations that we say, well, they, they had some reason to want to pretend that Jesus had been risen from the dead. But there's no evidence for that at all. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't say anything about the appearance to the 500 people that, that we talked about. Yep, conspiracies break apart. It's disconfirmed by that. So this is not a very good way of explaining our evidence. The second one is called the apparent death hypothesis. Another way that, that this is described as it's the swoon hypothesis. So Jesus didn't die on the cross. He merely lost consciousness. Uh, perhaps someone gave him some sedative to put him to sleep. He was taken off the cross. He was put in the tomb and he regained consciousness. So he never died. Does this explain the evidence? Well, it, it kind of explains why the tomb was empty because somehow he escaped from it. It explains the post-mortem appearances. Uh, well, kind of, although he wasn't dead to begin with. So can you describe them as post-mortem appearances? But the problems get bigger on this because this is, this is another example of the conspiracy thesis. Um, so you've got, but this time you've got Jesus and the disciples in the conspiracy. For some reason, they're all in a conspiracy to try and manufacture this, this resurrection. And so all of the weaknesses in the conspiracy thesis are also owned by this one as well. And how on earth was the tomb empty? Because if the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, as all the reports suggest, how is he going to get out? He certainly couldn't get out himself from the inside. Of course, an additional problem with this is he was in such bad shape before he was even put on the cross. 
you know, when he when after the the Romans scourged him and made him carry the cross up the hill, he was in a terrible place there. Historically, the the reports of of Roman scourging are horrible to read, really. So, the idea that he would have survived that, never mind crucifixion, you know, are pretty unbelievable. I thought, and Norley will know this probably, but I thought that it, the spear in the side or whatever it was, where the blood had come out separately, <laughs> thought that proved death. Am I wrong? Amazing. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, who's who's going to survive that? A spear in yeah. the in the heart, piercing the pericardium, right? It's uh, what was that? What was that about, Norley? That, that, that is true. Yeah. Um, I mean, our blood is uh, consists of uh, so many percent of water in the first place. But um, I think uh, Jill was right, and um, you know, I, the 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 soldiers were in a great pressure at that time. Because they need to make sure that Jesus is dead, dead uh, before uh, he comes down of the cro- on the cross. Because just imagine uh, if Jesus was actually not dead, it is the soldier's life at risk because they can be yeah. hanged themselves. If, if uh, you know, I think they are in a certain rush that time because of this. The is it the Pentecost is coming or sorry the yes there, 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 there's a big event coming. Passover. The next day, the Passover, sorry, yeah, that's it. Some additional information to back up what Norley's saying there. Josephus was, is a Roman historian, and he, he talks about when the, when, the, when the Romans went in and really, around about AD 70, destroyed Jerusalem, they unfortunately crucified lots and lots and lots of people. And three of uh, Josephus's friends were among the, those crucified. And people managed to get them off the cross after a while, but they were so badly traumatized by it that only one of them barely survived. The other two died. So we have no idea how barbaric and brutal crucifixion is in, in terms of a, an execution method. People didn't survive crucifixions. Historically, it just didn't happen. And it, in that one case that Josephus is talking about, it, it, it was only because the person received good medical attention that he barely survived. They, Romans knew how to execute people. <laughs> if, they wanted to get rid of, if they wanted to get rid of you, that was it. Um, also, this idea, the apparent death or the swoon hypothesis, is very contrived. You've got to make up secret societies, you know, there was something going on in the background that you know Jesus had to be uh, seemed to be executed but rescued at the last minute so perhaps there was some alliance between two groups going on that would make a fascinating read you know probably Dan Brown's next book but there's no evidence for it as there's no evidence at all of, of, of these contrivances so there aren't any historians that would defend this idea today. Okay, here's, here's another approach for explaining the evidence. Shrug, we lost the body. We don't know where it went. The displaced body hypothesis. Funnily enough, this is, this is what the Jewish people said at the time. You know, well, someone stole the body. The idea usually goes uh, that the body was placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb 
and then it was moved again without anyone realizing it to possibly a, crom a common graveyard for criminals. And the disciples weren't aware of it. They went to Jesus's tomb and <gasps> the tomb's empty. This is exciting. But they just didn't realize that the body had been moved. So the first test is how well does it explain our evidence? Well, it tries to explain the empty tomb by saying that the body was moved, but it has absolutely nothing to say about the post-mortem appearances. Because in this theory, Jesus is still dead. His body's somewhere else. So the post-mortem appearances aren't explained by this at all. It also doesn't explain the origin of the disciples' belief that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Because, you know, there must have been some, something significant happened. If the body's been moved, then what would that be? Another important point to make here is that burial sites in, in the first century were very carefully noted by people because the tradition was after the person had been buried, a year later, the family would go back to the tomb, gather and open the tomb, gather up the bones and put them in a bone box or an ossuary and they would, they would leave them in the, in, in the tomb. So people knew where their loved ones were buried. Uh, they, they took careful note of it for that purpose. Now, by the way, there's no evidence that that ever happened in Jesus's case. You know, Jesus's bones were never gathered up and put in an ossuary. There's no historical evidence of that. But the important point to make is people would have took, taken close notice of where he was buried. If... Um... If the body was moved by someone other than the disciples, mm -hmm. then as soon as the disciples start talking about the resurrection, wouldn't they just say, no, here's the body? <laughs> yeah. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. You would think so. Um, it's, it, it's another instance of this amazing thing of Christianity being birthed in the, in the city where he was crucified. Surely the only way of explaining that is that the resurrection must have happened because his body would have been produced. Surely. Absolutely. Also, the uh, Jewish law didn't, didn't permit the moving of bodies. So it would be highly irregular for, for, for the body to be moved in the way that this would s suggest. It just doesn't fit with Jewish culture in, in the first century. Number four, this is the one that I think it's true to say that most skeptical uh, historians would probably take this approach. You know, that I've heard, I've listened to guys that are really smart, who, who know the, the New Testament very well, and who conclude that the disciples thought they saw Jesus alive, but they didn't. It was something of a, a hallucination or or some, some naturalistic explanation that really they, they, they struggle to put their finger on exactly what it is. But most naturalistic, non-Christian scholars of the New Testament would, would probably get behind this idea. Is it a good idea? Does it work? Well, it, first of all, it doesn't do a very good job of explaining our three points of evidence. It, it doesn't explain the empty tomb evidence. You know.
presumably his body was still there. Is that right? <laughs> uh, if you're hallucinating, was the tomb empty? Well, of course, his body must have still been there. Uh, it also doesn't explain the origin of the belief in the resurrection. So I, I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who has had an experience or maybe you have had an experience of thinking that you see a loved one who has just passed away. There are lots of reports of this phenomena, just see a glimpse of or, or see a, a, a parent or a loved one who has just died. Those, those who experience that don't conclude that their loved one has been resurrected. They conclude that this is part of the experience of saying goodbye to them, you know, that they have died. And it was similar in the first century, you know, visions of people were understood to be confirmations of their death, not their, not their uh, return from the dead. So this idea of, of hallucinating Jesus' resurre uh, resurrection appearances doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, if they were going to imagine Jesus coming back, in some way, they would probably do it through the lens of the Old Testament. So there you, you imagine people being in, in the bosom of Abraham or assumed into, into the heavens. You know, that's, what, that's the sort of thing that the Old Testament talks about. And that's the lens that they were thinking through. So, but, but Jesus' post-mortem experience, uh, the post-mortem experience of Jesus was very different from that. This idea is not doing a good job of explaining the evidence we've got. It also struggles to explain why they would actually be hallucinating in the first place. Why are the disciples hallucinating? One of the, the people that have, has proposed this suggests that it's a guilt-induced vision of Jesus. You know, Peter was guilty about denying Jesus and he was sorry about what he did and somehow you know, his, his guilt caused him to imagine Jesus in front of him. Um, another problem is the, the evidence we've got in the creed in 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus' appearance wasn't just to Peter, it was to multiple people. Yes, that's it, yeah. And 500 all at once. Yeah. Um, psychology, psychologists, or a psychology book, if you look at that, on the subject of hallucination, our understanding of hallucination is it's a very private experience. You don't share a hallucination with somebody. Another problem with this idea of the hallucination hypothesis is that the people that propose it tend to think they can psychoanalyze Peter, imagining him to be guilty, and, and also Paul. They, they, they kind of somehow try and psychoanalyze Paul and, and try and find reasons why he would try and be sympathetic to the Christian cause and, and, and want, to, want to get behind Jesus, having, having you know, persecuted and tortured these Christians. He's actually secretly wanting to be a Christian. Really? Well, okay. It's implausible. You know, it, Janet... My wife Janet is a, is a counsellor and it's hard enough to understand where someone's coming from when they're sitting two feet away from you, you know, in a chair in the same room. What makes anyone think they can psychoanalyze 
someone that lived 2,000 years ago. There's just not enough data. It's, it's not possible. Also, the evidence that we've got about Paul is that he was very happy being a Pharisee, wasn't he? He, he described himself as righteous as far as the law was concerned. He wasn't secretly wanting to be a Christian. He, he was outraged at the, the Christians. That's why he was persecuting them. So why would he have a conscience problem? It, it, it doesn't stack up. Yeah, these are the main these are the main problems with with the, the hallucination hypothesis. But the most important thing to remember is, well, only one person hallucinates. You know, you don't get group hallucinations; they they don't occur. And yet, Jesus' post mortem appearances were group appearances, and so the hallucination hypothesis doesn't do a good a good job of explaining the evidence. Finally, then. Is it possible that the resurrection hypothesis is a better explanation of the empty tomb, post-mortem appearances, and the, the birth of the church? Of course, the answer is going to be yes. But why is it yes? Well, first of all, it explains all of these three facts. Fits very closely with them. In fact, it's very probable that these three things would have occurred if Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, he was, his, his life was uh, unparalleled. He, he was a, a very, he was a different person. He, and, and his claims about himself were unique. If you've seen me, you've seen the father uh, and all of that. So there's a lot of plausibility here. And if you think about it, if there's a God, if God exists, then the idea that, that God would raise Jesus from the dead is no more implausible than any of the other ideas or explanations that we've discussed. This, you know, if there's a God, this, this makes a lot of sense given the evidence. Is it contrived? Well, no, it doesn't appeal to unevidenced suppositions apart from one. There's one supposition that this hypothesis makes and that is God exists. But, Actually, there are lots of different, many, many reasons to, to believe that God exists that are quite independent of this discussion. Uh, and so that, there's a very strong case to be made for the existence of God. The only thing that would kind of be a disconfirmation, the thing that doesn't fit well with our experience of life is usually dead men don't rise. It's very unusual for, for, for someone to claim that. But then we're not saying that Jesus just spontaneously came back to life naturally and just woke up. What we're saying is God raised Jesus from the dead. So he didn't rise naturally. It was God that caused the resurrection to occur. And so if God exists, then surely that's possible. And it's, makes a lot more sense than the conspiracy idea uh, and all of all of the complexities behind that. So this, this, this hypothesis makes the best sense of the evidence that we've got and it fits best with the understanding we all have when, when we look at the first century and what was going on there based on, on the history. You know, oft, often the thing that, that will 
be the problem for people is, well, I don't believe in miracles. So it's a kind of a prejudice against miracles that, that some people have. But if they were to lay that aside and look at this case, you know, this would be the strongest explanation for the evidence that we've got. the best explanation of the evidence is that God raised Jesus from the dead. But if you're sitting there thinking, how do I know God exists? How can anyone know whether or not God exists? Hold that thought. See you next week.